Hello, dear friends. I'm happy to welcome you again. And today we have with us the esteemed Igor Mihailovich Danilov. Greetings. Igor Mihailovich, I would like to begin with the words of immense gratitude to you for the previous conversation. Because personally, all of us present here and people all over the world are still very much impressed by that conversation. And certainly, thank you very much for the utmost degree of sincerity, frankness and straightforwardness. This is extremely valuable for all of us. You know, it's a great happiness to know that there are things in this world that delight you. It's a great happiness to know that you are joyful to contemplate those flowers which are unfolding in the soul of every person, the way they are burning with the truth, the way they are spreading the truth and carrying it further. And many thanks to people who bravely carry this message of goodness, the message of peace, the message of love, because thanks to them, time and a chance are given for saving this world. Another most important point is that, of course, we wish to have enough of this time, and we wish that the chance to build a world that is worthy, that pleases God, that pleases the spiritual world, the world which the prophets dreamed about would increase. It is interesting that our prophets and all the messengers of God were very well aware of what humanity would have to face. That includes both the opposition of those people who are very painfully blinded by the truth and surely the traps of our own consciousness. And you know, at all times, we were advised not to be afraid. In particular, Prophet Muhammad said, let not fear of the people prevent one of you from speaking the truth, if he knows it. This is such an important point. If you know the truth, you have a great responsibility for how to use this knowledge. But Jesus Christ also said, do not fear them, speaking of those people who basically opposed the truth. He said, what I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in the ear, proclaim on the housetops. And there is an understanding of what degree of freedom and lack of timidity should we, all people, actually have in order to tell this truth out loud. And in fact, here is an interesting point. Consciousness has so many sort of alibis by which it justifies why it cannot proclaim or convey this truth. It says that, I don't know, they will consider me a moralist, or this will somehow bring discomfort into my current comfortable life, and so on and so forth. However, it seems to me that the point is actually much deeper, and people do not understand how this delivery, conveyance and dissemination of the truth relates to their spiritual development. This is a very important point. You see, people usually believe that spiritual salvation has to take place somewhere in solitude, in some kind of silence, and a person who is on the spiritual path should be inconspicuous. It has to be sort of a quiet process. This is what consciousness tells you, friends. 
Well, what is spiritual salvation in reality? How does it change a person? And what is its meaning? So Tatiana has just said that if you know the truth and keep silent, the truth doesn't expand. And since it doesn't expand, hence it doesn't live. Hence, what are you doing, my friend? You are killing the truth. You are stopping it at the level of your consciousness. This can only happen when consciousness dominates you. That is, it's not you who are the king, but consciousness is the king, while you, as personality, are a slave. So everything is actually very simple. If a person embarks on the spiritual path, if he understands, let's say, the spiritual aspects, which, well, at the initial stage, a person learns more through the mind, so to say, than through his personal experience. So, in this case, consciousness tells him that he must sit idle, that he is weak, he knows nothing, and is capable of nothing. So, not having his own experience, a person is surely silent. But when a person possesses his own experience, when he has a connection with the spiritual world, an inner connection, when he understands what spiritual development is, and at the same time, consciousness tells him to be silent, a person betrays God, meaning he consciously rejects his spiritual path. Why? Because a human cannot be silent. The whole point is to ensure that the truth multiplies. I'll put it simply, so it will be easier to understand. Just imagine, you go out on the ice, and your entire group falls under it. If you scramble out of there and run away when your friends are drowning, are you a good or a bad person? A simple example. Yes, it's a little bit harsh, but I would even say, as far as spiritual development is concerned, it is very soft. Your friends are drowning while you run away. Who are you in this case? Wouldn't you lend them a helping hand and save them? Why? Just a simple example. You escaped to your home. But what will you be told at home, my friend? What will your neighbors tell you? What will the near and dear ones of your friends tell you of those who drowned at the time when you scrambled out and ran away? Did you go for help? Well, for divers, to look for your friends, right? That's the point. The same is in the spiritual aspect. If you have gained ground under your feet, as they say, and stand firmly, then naturally you are obliged to help others as well. This is an inner need, and every person actually has it. Every person feels it. It's enough for a person even to come into contact with the spiritual world, and he cannot but share this joy. However, consciousness isn't weak either, and it immediately begins to hold a person back. Why does consciousness hold people? Why does it prevent them from opening their mouths? Why does it not give them a right to voice the truth? What's the point? And it actually has the same arguments for thousands of years. What will they think of you? What will they say about you? They will label you as a believer. Isn't that so? How we treat believers. He's a believer, you know? It's like a holy fool. What can you expect from him? If he's an alcoholic or a drug addict, yeah, that's it. He's a normal person. He is sane, like everyone else. 
while a believer is insane. The system writes believers of its accounts. Of course, sure. No, you know, it even puts many people in such an uncomfortable position that they are afraid to open their mouths regarding God, you see? If a person says, I believe in God, it's the same as saying, I have lost my mind, you know? In fact, what kind of attitude do we mostly have to that? Isn't it so? That's why it shuts people's mouths. And even when they embark on the spiritual path and acquire some personal spiritual skill, people do not share it. They keep silent. They keep silent about the true knowledge, if they have heard it. And they keep silent about their own achievements. Well, there is a nuance here too. If a person keeps silent about his own achievements, if he doesn't share, these achievements disappear very quickly. And later on, consciousness says that, well, it was sort of a momentary surge, a delusion. If you were spiritual, you would continue to feel it all. You would grow spiritually. And if you grew spiritually, it means you would have everything. Everything would be fine, smooth and beautiful in your life. You would be well off. You wouldn't get sick and so on. God would see you and carry you in His arms, right? You would even, excuse me, run barefoot on thorns and would not get hurt. God would do everything instead of you and protect you. Isn't this what consciousness tells you? It is. If a person belongs to God, he is protected. Well, it's actually… You know, the paradoxical thing is that you've said it right. When a person shares, it multiplies. Of course. But when he locks it within himself, he… he kills it. Kills it. While in fact… He kills what is alive. And just imagine how many people one person could save. Literally, save. Save from death. However, by shutting his own mouth because of fear of what someone else's consciousness would think about him, a person is literally killing a mass of people. Stopping the truth in this world, this is bad. You know, that explains a lot, because the Holy Fathers used to say that if you toss up a stone into the sky, it will not reach the sky. Right. And in the same way, the prayer of a people-pleaser does not reach heavens. How can it reach them? Guys, you, you know, we have a lot of myths created by people, people who had nothing to do with spiritual experience, who were so far from the spiritual world, you know, like fire from water, seemingly close, but if we take water, it is composed of combustible materials, oxygen and hydrogen. It is supposed to burn, yet it puts out fire, you see? So there are some people who wear clothes and say the right words, but they put out fire. The fire of love, the fire of salvation, the fire of life in masses of people. And so it seems that it shouldn't be like that, but it actually takes place. Let me tell you in a simple way. I don't have anything against religions, but I will tell you the following. Friends, religions have existed for thousands of years. And if at least one religion really cared about your spiritual salvation the way it should, Believe me, it would be dominant, and we would have lived in a completely different world now. We would have already lived in the creative society a long time ago, for thousands or hundreds of years. Imagine how much time people had. Isn't that true? But where are we now? In what kind of world? It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. We kill children and women, as well as men. Is it allowed to kill men as well? Are men sheep that may be slaughtered and killed whenever you want? This is human life. Do you understand? And we live in this world nowadays. 
So many times, I've seen when there are clashes, you know, even between different dioceses in the same religion. And what do they fight for among themselves? What do they sling mud at each other for? For property. They take parishes away from each other. Have any of them ever fought for your spiritual salvation? Never. No one has ever been concerned about their own flock, about people's well-being or spiritual salvation, the way it should be. What are priests here for? Why did they go into religion at all? To serve God. What does service to God imply? To take someone's property away so that we can have it. Does this really please God? Well, isn't it so? Well, that's the truth of life. Some people oppress other people, then other people oppress someone else. What do they oppress them for? Fighting for wealth, for property, and for power. That's the way our world is. You see, I'm not blaming, I'm not blaming anyone. Believe me, I just… It's an observation from a side of how human consciousness with all that human filth, the satanic filth, how it stands in the way of people's spiritual development, that even those who took over this burden long ago have forgotten what they took over. And it continues, you know, like with any organization. I don't know, like the one that sells pies or fast food all over the world. It's no different. What is the main thing? The main thing is property, money, income, power, political party, or something else. I don't know. All the nonsense from Satan. Still, our responsibility of all of us people is enormous because such things take place with our tacit consent. Of course, tacit. Or somewhere we echo them. Because we support yes, it. Yes, that's because… And here, also look, you cannot open your mouth against them, because this way you offend believers, you blaspheme. Guys, that's actually true. I don't want to offend anyone, I don't call anyone's names, and don't mention any religious organizations and the like, but you yourselves know about this situation, don't you? And priests themselves know what internal conflicts they have, what scandals are going on for the hierarchy, what pressure they exert on each other. Again, I talk a lot with clergymen of different dioceses and different religions, and the same problem is everywhere. Fight for domination and fight for power. Well, no one is fighting for your souls, you know, that's true. I'm just saying, if there really was at least one religion built in purity on the words of the Prophets, meaning on the teaching of Jesus Himself, then peace would have been all over the world a long time ago. There would have been a civilization all over the world. We would have been completely different, technologically different morally different. In all aspects, we would have been different. But what do we have now? After all, people haven't changed. As they were four thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, a thousand and a half years ago, so they are now. The same problems, the same people, or worse. Yes, we have become worse. Are we better? No, we haven't become better. That's the main problem, you see. Again, why does this happen? Because consciousness shuts our mouths. We felt something, it fluttered, you know, it was like, well, I'm afraid to say the word angel because it's far from it, a butterfly. A little butterfly flapped its wings inside and we felt this joy, a little bit of love, all this, 
and consciousness immediately told us, keep quiet, don't move, you are nobody and nothing. Who are you to open your mouth? And if you tell someone, what will they think of you? You will lose your credibility. What credibility, friends? A simple example. Before whom do we feel shy? And who are we afraid of? Before whom are we afraid to open our mouths? A simple question. Before people, right? Why does a person actually go to some religious organizations? What for? To serve people, as Tatiana said, repeating the words of Jesus, to serve people, to bow down to them, to obey them, or do we go there for spiritual salvation? What leads us there? Service to God. So does service to God imply that we have to murmur before Satan so that some demon would hold our tongue and we wouldn't tell anyone about love for God and the fact that we feel God. We are afraid that they will give us some kind of a diagnosis. diagnosis. This is really so. People-pleasing is a crime against the first commandment, love your God, because it turns out that when you please someone else, He is actually God for you. I would even say that you should love your God more than yourself. That is the essence and that is the meaning. If you really love God more than yourself, if this is the meaning of your existence, then you will not be afraid. Then no imp will be able to hold your tongue. Then you'll just find it ridiculous to look even into the eyes of the devil. Why? Because he is nothing and nobody. He is inevitably dead, while God is omnipresent. He is alive. He saves. He gives life. And these are not fairy tales, you know. It's a fairy tale for consciousness because it is doomed. Consciousness of any person does everything possible to get him off the spiritual path. Let a person be better a drug addict, a murderer, a maniac. Let him be an alcoholic, a hobo, whoever. But the main thing for him is not to become an angel, not to become a saint. This is the meaning and the main function of consciousness of any of us. Just face the truth. From the position of consciousness, do you actually believe in God? You have a lot of doubts. You have a lot of doubts about yourselves, about the structure of this world, about everything. Consciousness doubts everything. And now, look from the inner side. From the position of personality, do you doubt that there is God? What is the meaning of our existence then? Have we formed by accident? Have we evolved by chance? To what level? In every human being, there are two incompatible parts. They are direct opposites, the dead, the inevitably dead, and the potentially alive. And this potentially alive part has an opportunity to become part of the spiritual world. Is that bad? For consciousness, it is bad. If it lives instead of us, and we perceive ourselves as consciousness, excuse me, we are dead. We do not live. And we do everything to make sure that other people die too. We laugh at believers. We laugh and doubt. Did Jesus Christ even exist? He did. And everyone knows that He did. We doubt the prophet. 
or we wave it away. He is the prophet of Muslims, after all. What does that have to do with me? How is that? Whose God is it? Each of us calls God by a different name. Some call Him Yahweh, others call Him Allah. These names do not change His essence. You see, these are games of our consciousness. Nothing more. We call everything, even bread, by different names. So what? Does that make it change its taste? A simple question. The trouble is that, in each of us, there is a beast, a deceitful, evil beast, determined to kill the angel in us. The killer of the angel lives in each of us. And it depends only on us, on our choice, whether we will allow this beast to do that to us or we will gain life and stand shoulder to shoulder in the ranks of the worthiest. Either we will spend the rest of our lives enjoying the view of, let's say, demons' asses, or we will be able to look into the eyes of the worthiest. What do we choose? To look into the eyes of Jesus Christ or the Prophet Himself, or to enjoy the view of Satan's tail. Well, he has no tail. That's the whole point. You see, these allegories about Satan being something separate from us are ingrained in our minds so much. No, friends, he is in us, in everyone. It is our consciousness, our uncontrolled emotions. What we are, that's our character, that's what we are. No, we are not like that. Each of us, everyone, I emphasize, in whom there is a soul, we are angels. That's true. And we all want to get home. Each of us looks up into the starry sky with a hope that Somewhere far away, there is our home, not in outer space, but beyond it. After all, it's not the stars we are looking at, and we don't think that there is… Just know, where we are looking, we are looking into interstellar space. We are looking much farther and deeper than those dots we see in the sky. Isn't that so? Yes, each of us feels that God is in us, and not somewhere in the external. And each of us knows the shortest path to God. It used to be said that it lies through our heart. Well, the heart is just an organ. The path lies through our soul. It's the only gate through which we can enter. This is the shortest path we have to walk our entire life. And unfortunately, few people are able to surmount it. That's what is sad. Why is it sad? Because Satan is strong. Because demons hold our tongues. And because people do not know the truth. Even those who sincerely seek God go astray. They delude themselves, getting lost between the lines, commas, and pharisaical admonitions. Isn't that so? It is. Sometimes scribes mess with people's minds. Sometimes demons inside become prideful, and a person becomes deluded. He is deluded on even the simplest and shortest path. You know, if you look at it 
from the physical perspective. The spiritual world is so close to us that we cannot even make a step. It is inside us. We don't have to go anywhere, but we walk towards it our entire life and often never reach it. Because even at the shortest distance between us as personality and the open gate to the spiritual world, there stands the devil, the one who lives instead of us. That's what is scary. That's where the trouble is. He shuts us off from all of our opportunities. He forces us to serve Him and instigates us to do the silliest and the most futile actions. He makes us desire earthly, dead things, dream of houses, power, and earthly love. I'm not saying it's bad, but earthly love cannot replace love for God. It cannot. Because whatever earthly love you have here, if it is not grounded in true love, it is temporary. A short time passes, and if it doesn't become a habit, after playing around, everyone splits up. Hormones have subsided, and it's over. Isn't that so? Say it honestly. Only say it in private, not near your partner, because we are liars. When we are sitting next to our partner, we say, No, we are doing great. We've been together for ten years, and our love is only growing. But in our heads, we have something completely different. And the devil makes fun of you while you are lying. You see how simple everything is? It is simple. You shouldn't lie and shouldn't fear Satan. Otherwise, you will never reach that very lotus of the utmost boundary. Never. So you'll remain behind the scenes, having burned your own life for nothing having burned it in the fire of hatred, envy, and silly hopes. And just look at how consciousness actually acts towards us. Let me give you a simple example. After all, how does a person controlled by Satan live? A simple example. He lives by memories of the past and hopes for the future. Why does he not live now? Because he doesn't have now. How does a person who has spiritual experience live. I'm not even talking about a spiritually free person. I'm talking about someone who has at least the initial experience of spiritual contact with the spiritual world. How does he live? Does he live by the past? He doesn't. Yes, he has hope for the future. And he prays every moment to stand shoulder to shoulder with the worthiest of this world, to enter the spiritual world to be equal among equals. Isn't that so? It is. But does he really live by the future? No, friends. He hopes to stand shoulder to shoulder, but he always lives now. Why? Because there simply cannot be anything better than this moment, the moment of contact with the spiritual world. This is home. This is delight. This is paradise, the paradise which starts here, and not somewhere, sometime after your death. After death, my friends, there are two paths, either to the abyss, to being a subpersonality, or to the spiritual world. 
However, you can come to the spiritual world after death only when you have earned that, when you already live in it. You see? If you do not live by the spiritual world now, during your lifetime, how will you get there after death? Tell me. A simple question. Life is here and now, and it never ends. Do you know why? I'll explain it in a simple way. Nothing in this material world is static. Absolutely nothing. Everything is moving. Nothing, not even the smallest particle, can remain stable even for an instant. Everything is moving. The whole universe is seething and moving. It is always moving towards its termination. Galaxies will disappear too, and the universe will disappear. From the moment it appears, from the beginning, it is moving to its end, and everything in it hinges on that. Satan is mortal too, and our consciousness is mortal. Everything will end and perish. Why? Because there is today, there is tomorrow, and there was yesterday. While in the spiritual world, there is no movement. There's nothing there that could be moving. There is no matter. There is no inevitably dead. There is the eternally alive. And each of us knows this truth. There is neither envy nor resistance or friction in the spiritual world. After all, it only happens when there is a struggle for life. Well, not for life, but for better conditions of existence, temporary existence. Why do we fight each other and kill each other here? so that we can live richer and so that more people would submit to us. While if we face the truth, most often we kill each other here so that someone whom we don't know, haven't seen, or perhaps have seen on TV, but don't know personally, could live well and nicely, so that his relatives and his future generation could live well and nicely but not us, and not our generations. Well, let's tell the truth, isn't that so? Do we improve our own lives by killing each other? No. We can leave our families and loved ones, our children, without a father, right? To become a sub-personality, ourselves. What is spiritual about that? What's the point? These are actually the games of our consciousness. But from the position of consciousness, we can always nicely explain this right? That they can be proud of us. What is pride for? What do we need glory for? So that we can be fed, remembered, and proud of as sub-personality. Tell me, does an angel need to be remembered? Does an angel need other people's attention? A simple question. I'll give a simple example for those who don't understand what I mean. Tell me, do you need copper if you have a lot of gold? Well, I understand, there is human greed, you need everything, and the more the better. But would you trade gold for copper? You won't. Why? Because you have gold, while copper is cheaper. Well, again, you know, the consciousness of some people begins to say, it depends on how much gold and how much copper. Guys, don't mock it, don't listen to your consciousness, and certainly do not troll. Just don't. You know what I'm talking about. Yes, your demons are freaking out. Yes, it's unpleasant for them to listen to this. Yes, they are foisting on you a lot of nasty thoughts. 
right now and pushing you away. Why? Because they feel bad. It's hard for the demons to listen now. They are not interested. That's the point. But each of you feels something different. You feel hope inside, warmth, and a sense of home, don't you? Joy and love. Yet far from everyone feels love. Love has to be earned. And it takes a lot of effort to be able to feel this true love, to feel it to the extent that your wings would spread, time would disappear, and only joy and love would remain. Isn't it so? That's the point. You know, I'd like to touch on another aspect in this case, that of spiritual practices. Why spiritual practices actually give us wings? And why, after performing the spiritual practices, we often fall into a state of bursting inside, right? Euphoria. No? Some people have euphoria, while others get a very frantic consciousness that begins to overwhelm them with lots of problems, it gives them no rest. When they already leave the practice. Of course, so it's a usual practical experience. Everything is simple here. When a person actually performs a spiritual practice, at the stage when he begins to feel the spiritual world, it becomes hard and painful for consciousness. Really hard and painful. A person breaks away from consciousness, and he no longer registers this pain of his own consciousness, because he moves away from it. It no longer has such power over him. But when the person returns, when he gets out of practice, consciousness regains its dominance. Meanwhile, during spiritual practice, a person is replenished with God's love, a lot. So he returns with this bright light, with this inspiration. So at the first stages, when this initial experience is taking place, when a person is not yet adapted to it, consciousness is not yet subdued, and it starts taking a lot away. To begin with, it has just experienced pain, suffering, and fear. For demons, fear much more than we do. And this experience of fear, the fear of death, which consciousness experiences when personality begins to grow spiritually, is overwhelming and devouring. And that's where it begins to project this fear onto a person. Why? And most importantly, what for? So that a person would begin to invest his attention filled with the power of love. Just imagine, in mortal things, in problems, in some points, let's say, of narrowing down to material things, and a person who has just gained this tremendous spiritual experience of being home, immediately plunges into our earthly filth to the brim. Naturally, everything disappears. Only problems and memories remain. Next time, it becomes much harder for him to reach the same level of, let's say, unity with the spiritual world he had previous time. Why? Because consciousness stands guard, and a person has to make a lot of effort to get away from consciousness, to observe, to control, to hold it, and only then to dive into spiritual practice into this boundless lotus, otherwise it won't work. However, when a person has already advanced a little further spiritually and has more spiritual freedom over consciousness, then there comes another effect, which Tatiana mentioned, euphoria. This is the next stage. This 
so to say, destabilization is followed by the effect of real euphoria. A person gets out of practice and doesn't understand where the world is. He cannot navigate in this three-dimensionality. He's in euphoria for a long time, and he feels, well, not drunk, but rather drugged, and by a strong drug at that. Why? In some cases, you can even take his blood for testing and find huge amounts of endogenous opiates. Why? Because when experiencing genuine fear, you know, not contrived, but true fear of the heat, of the fire of God's love, consciousness is suffering. However, our consciousness is closely connected to our brain. So here, let's say, our endogenous opiates begin to be produced as a consequence of blocking the trauma and pain. But with time, this also goes away. Later on, already at the third stage, when a person is indeed, let's say, about to fly up, you know, when he is on the threshold to ultimate freedom and has ascended in the spiritual practice to home, there is home, there is joy and love. He comes out and consciousness doesn't bother him anymore. There are no such reactions in the body. This doesn't mean that habituation, adaptation, or anything else takes place. No, it's an indication that consciousness has already become subdued and has kind of accepted its fate. In other words, it doesn't resist as aggressively. Although our consciousness is like a wild beast, you know, it can attack a person any moment. Even if a person is already about to fly up, let's say, he is almost an angel, he may still fall. We have mentioned this more than once, because the devil is strong, and he has seen all kinds of people. You know, a person is born as personality, and he has the experience of being in contact with the soul, as he is nothing other than a certain part of it, right? It's natural that there is experience, but there is no understanding. He is like a clean slate. He has to learn everything to mature, while consciousness is a part of, how can we put it, a part of the Absolute, or the Universal Mind, or the system, to put it simply. Or let's put it in religious terms. There is Satan, it is everything, and there are demons, they are a part of him. And our consciousness also relates to that very devil, if we put it in religious terms, and it has billions of years of experience. It has seen all kinds of people. Igor Mihailovich, there is also the following question. It is quite obvious that perfect love banishes any fear. And when a person is in this state of love, there can be no fear. Here, there is no place for fear. There is no place for fear. You see, there is the experience of the Prophet. Right. When he experienced fear, which was not connected, as it seems to me, with images, as it is habitual for consciousness. And there is understanding that fear is always connected with some images, images of the future and so on. As for the Prophet's experience, there are three moments that made me greatly interested. The moment of the first meeting with Jibril, when the Prophet really experienced fear, and he came home and told his wife, you know, I was afraid for myself. His heart trembled. He was recovering from that fear for a long time and asked her to cover him. That was the first moment when he became scared. The second moment, being in close contact with Jibril, in repeated close contact with Jibril, 
One day the Prophet asked the Holy Spirit to manifest in his true form. To which Jibril said, you will not be able to bear it. The Prophet insisted very much. Naturally, in his time, he fainted when the Holy Spirit manifested himself in his true form. The Prophet became scared again, and when Jibril already took a human form, he said, don't be afraid, Muhammad. And the third moment, when a person evolves in love and approaches, like in the story of the Prophet, the lotus of the utmost boundary. After all, the Prophet also experienced intense fear at that moment because he described that when Jibreel had already brought him there and left him, he heard the voice of the Lord saying, Let your fear subside, O Muhammad. Come closer in order to reach the boundary. What kind of fear was that? Is it of some other nature? <laughs> no, everyone goes through that. May I explain? Guys, I'll try to explain in simple terms. I understand that there are many interpretations of this, both in Islam and not only in Islam. Let's say, many people who are far from religion, from spiritual experience, describe this in different ways. Well, I will only explain it the way I know, based on realities that exist in this world. It's clear, there's the primary fear, the fear from consciousness. When a person, even if he is chosen by God Himself, he is still a human. He has the same consciousness as you have. And when he encounters the real, true power, then inside, you know, inside it is. It's hard to explain in this world to which extent, you know, it's like a whole world has manifested within you. And you know that you are not consciousness. The primary experience of this division into an observer and consciousness. When you see the Holy Spirit inside, you feel Him, and you feel Satan. This is frightening. Why? Because immediately after this experience, you merge with your own consciousness again, and fear arises. So Tatiana has said that the Prophet experienced fear. But the Prophet experienced fear only once, during the first time. After that, it was his consciousness that experienced fear when he told Jibril, manifest yourself, I want to see you. Jibril answered him that, you won't see me anyway, and it may destroy you. Here, how to explain it to you? It's of a different nature. Imagine, there is matter and antimatter, that which the entire world is woven of, a tremendous power, if it is manifested in fantasy in a concentrated form. Whereas our world is nothing but a momentary thought of the spiritual world, God Himself, where we have billions of years and so much diversity, where you and I reside, and we are individuals, we live. In this world, real, alive angels are born out of fantasy and multiply the spiritual world. Such is the will of God. There is nothing impossible for Him. And if this power would manifest in the material world, 
then do you know why it's impossible to see it? So the archangel exactly told him, you will die. In this case, he meant consciousness and the Prophet himself as yet an immature angel. But for that very reason, the Prophet is the best of all. He, how to tell you, you know, you should also know his character. He said, may I die, but I will die in joy. And when he lost consciousness, only from a slight manifestation, the Holy Spirit didn't manifest. If he had manifested in this world as he is, the world would have ceased to exist. He only slightly, let's say, blew in the Prophet's direction. He only slightly intensified his own presence in the Prophet. In this case, even near him, beside him. And naturally, the Prophet's consciousness simply fainted. That is, he fell asleep. He lost consciousness. And when he came back, of course, his consciousness trembled very much. But at that moment, the Prophet felt joy the first time. It certainly took him long to come to his senses. But this time, the Prophet was no longer afraid. It was his consciousness that was afraid. Yet, at the third time, consciousness seized him firmly. When he had to make that decisive step during his lifetime in order to go beyond the utmost boundary of the lotus, to get out of this material world and become who he became. So, the Lord Himself told him, do not be afraid. In other words, do not submit to Satan anymore. That's the point. And he, he took this step. Unlike many, many people who, even getting to this point, failed to cope with the trivial fear when the choice was life or death, understanding and realizing that it is merely consciousness. People... With my God, I can scale any wall. Right. Many people will say, how is it possible? Friends, I will explain to you how it is possible. What we started with, when you feel love inside, when you understand that God exists, when you strive for Him, you are silent, my friend. Your friends are drowning in an ice hole while you are trying to run away. Here's the answer for you. When consciousness is still too strong, while we want to become an angel, but at the same time, we remain an ape, and try not to lose something here, Yet, what will you lose here? I'll even put it another way. What do you have here that belongs to you? Nothing. If a person possesses something, he must possess it forever. Yet, he only possesses it during his lifetime. You know, it's like staying at a hotel. What is yours there? Only the time you took it for. Is the time yours? Do you control it? You know, it's like a leaf that has fallen into a river. It flows with the river, 
and thinks it's a sail of some ship, while in fact it's just a fallen leaf. So everything is simple. Really simple, my friends. The main thing is to stop being afraid, that is, to stop serving Satan inside and to look reasonably. Just find the courage and look inside yourselves, who you are and what you are. Answer the most important question, who do you want to be? Do you want to be forever in love and joy together with the worthiest one among the most worthy? Do you want to behold the face of Allah Himself? Or do you want to become a subpersonality? And do you know what subpersonality is? It is you as well. It is when you have been pulled out of your body while everything has remained. And do you know what the most terrible thing is? Subpersonalities realize that there is no body, but the pressure is such that they cannot breathe. Hence, there are a lot of fears and stories of how they are gritting their teeth and gnashing their ribs. There are actually no ribs and no teeth, but they hurt like real ones. And those problems which they have, anguish, filth, envy, anger, everything remains, but it greatly intensifies. And you know, the saddest thing about subpersonality is that there a person understands who he is, and he no longer lives alone, but in the company of his demons, those which he has nurtured. After all, it is us who nurture them. They are merely little demons, a fantasy, an illusion. But it's a connecting link between us as personality and this three-dimensional world. That's where the trouble is. For consciousness, this world is valuable. For consciousness, all kinds of trinkets and knick-knacks. Everything is valuable. For it, life here is something real. Well, with an illusion of eternity. Because none of us, yes, we understand and know that we will die someday. And the whole point is someday. You see? But when we come face to face with death, believe me, I've seen it many, many times. I've looked into its eyes many, many times. There is nothing there. When you understand this, there is nothing valuable here either, nothing but love, joy and life, nothing but those angels who are in each of us. That's what is valuable. Human life is valuable. Love is valuable because it gives life. And God is very valuable because He is everything. While everything else, all our problems and worries, yes, we have to solve them. We have to live, eat, build and create something. It is necessary, of course. We must develop both as society, on the whole, and each of us individually. It's important. But it is temporary. Everything will disappear. Even this universe will disappear very soon. And from the perspective of the spiritual world, it's not even tomorrow, for those who understand what I mean. That's the truth of life. You know, the whole, I would say, problem of humanity is that we have forgotten who we are and distorted a lot of things. We aspired so much 
to reach some heights in pursuit of other people's attention, to accumulate attention, to become stronger. Well, this is actually, this is magic, this is stupidity, it's all temporary. We have lost the truth in the pursuit of illusion, we have lost reality. But each of us has preserved it, and each of us feels it. After all, what I'm talking about right now isn't new to anyone, is it? Tell me, which of you doesn't feel, know and understand this? You all know, you all feel, and you all understand what I'm saying. And you understand that there is nothing more precious than love, there is nothing more precious than this connection between our souls. That it's the very meaning of existence, that all of us are one, that it should be an indissoluble connection, but we ourselves break these connections. By serving Satan, we do everything to become a subpersonality and to break our connection with others. Why? In order to be an individual, you know, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous to talk about individuality when we are subordinate to demons, to our own consciousness, at least to the two of them. A person who is subordinate to consciousness, no matter how clever he is, he's a slave, and he has at least two masters. Doesn't this remind you of anything? Haven't you heard of such wisdom coming from ancient times? It's always been known and always mentioned. Later on, it was removed and somewhat forgotten. We began to bustle and play so much that we forgot about God and forgot about ourselves. That's the most terrible thing. But at the same time, each of us wants love and wants to be loved. Yet for some reason, we ourselves don't want to love. Have we been weaned from that? Or, pardon me, has Satan forbidden us? And we listen to him, betraying God. That's the point. So who are we? Are we the ones who lend a helping hand to our friends, pulling them out of these cold waters onto dry land? Or are we the ones who run away when our friends are drowning? I think it is worth pondering over. You know, Igor Mihailovich, Sufis also said that there are those people who desire this world, and there are those who desire the future world. But where are those who desire God? This is truly a very deep thought, what you are saying today. Because if a person desires God, he can be in dialogue with Him incessantly in the here and now. Right. Consciousness always frightens and postpones to some uncertain future. There is a fear of some uncertain future or whether you will be with God or not. But there is an understanding that every second you can be in touch with the spiritual world and that every second is an opportunity for such a dialogue. Because when consciousness sets some remote goals, it leads people astray a lot. And very many people say that they have some difficulties and unwillingness to perform some spiritual practices, of course. and they postpone all of that. However, you understand that every second is an opportunity, an opportunity to be in dialogue, an opportunity to be in contact, an opportunity to respond to the inner call which is inside of you. You know, I'll say that when a person has love for the spiritual world, then every moment 
that he is forced to be distracted by something earthly is where the pain and suffering appear. Why? Because you can give your love to the spiritual world and at this time receive love from God Himself, become stronger, become more alive. But you are forced to pay attention to earthly things. You see? This is what makes you suffer. But on the other hand, when you realize that you can multiply the boundless world and help a mortal being like you to gain life, that gives you wings. It really gives you wings. Then your distractions make sense. Then your disconnection from the spiritual world during these moments is justified but you still remain with the spiritual world. Of course, prayer is a continuous action. It's when the Holy Spirit Himself prays inside you. Of course, it is eternal and forever. The main point is not to stop hearing Him, to constantly be in contact with Him. You know, many people also make a mistake. I've just recalled a little bit and will explain. When a person has performed a spiritual practice and got out of it, no matter whether in euphoria or in fear, as we've already discussed today, but after a while he gets distracted and the prayer inside him stops. If a person stops the prayer inside himself, the angels in him also become silent and he breaks this connection. But it happens only when a person, let's say, has looked through a small window at God and has run to Satan. You know, that's not right. You should always remain with God. Even if you have to work a lot physically, mentally, or some other way, or communicate with a lot of people, yet who prevents you from living and being happy? Who prevents you from living, my friend? Nobody. Can anyone forbid you to love God? No one can except yourself. You know, Igor Mihailovich, this reminds me of one story told by the Prophet. People who were near him felt this state of grace and said to the Prophet, You know, Prophet, while being near you, our hearts kind of become softer and we feel as if we are already in another world. But as soon as we step away from you and become carried away by some problems, our wives, children, and so on, we do not recognize ourselves. Of course. So he told them back then, keep that state when you leave me. Don't lose it. And then the angels will abide in your home too. And many people wondered why was it so. They said, when the Prophet was near, it was alive, it was there. Once he walked away, it was gone. They say, it's like being near a stove, right? When you are standing near a stove, you feel warm and good. But when you move away, there is a cold wind and the world changes. Whereas in reality, friends, nothing changes. We just lose it. We ourselves lose it by means of our own attention. We invest attention in wrong things. Meanwhile, the most important thing is our attention. We already talked about it and we will talk more. I believe we will talk about it more than once for you to actually understand the point even though you know it. Attention is the most important tool. Therefore, my friends, let's invest it in love. Enjoy and let's begin with what is simple. Let's love each other. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you, friends, for your love.
The more love you give to the spiritual world, the more the spiritual world loves you. Remember that. Thank you.